to recap, in case you weren't here, Jesus has a blueprint for our freedom, and it, was, it stems from 2 Corinthians 3, 17, which says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, quick question, where does the Spirit of the Lord reside? Inside of you. So wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Wherever you are, you can experience freedom, the freedom that Jesus paid the price for you to have because you carry his spirit with you everywhere you go. So freedom isn't the absence of something. It's the presence of a person. It's the presence of Jesus. There's a blueprint. There's a detailed plan. There's a schematic. And if we'll follow it, if we'll take it to heart, if we'll walk according to it, then it results in the Holy Spirit producing something really beautiful in our lives. And so there's also an antagonistic spiritual plan for our lives. And if we choose to follow that something else, then what it results in is a lot less for our lives than what God intended. And so we're going to be talking today about Satan. We're going to be talking about demonic influence. Uh, We're going to be talking about, you know, the, the schemes of the enemy and how to really combat those. And so depending on how comfortable you are or what your background is with like spiritual warfare, it can kind of divide people. Some people are like, oh, that sounds like scary movie stuff and I don't want to talk about that. That sounds really weird. Um, But then some people are like like rubbing their hands like, oh man, he's getting into the good stuff today. This is going to be awesome. So whichever camp you're in, here we are. And we're just going to go right on through. We need to talk though about our spiritual enemy. We need to talk about the schemes of the enemy. We need to be able to identify them. We need to be aware and know that they're there because it's biblical. It's biblical. This is real, and it's a part of being obedient to Jesus. We're going to start today with three statements. These will provide some context for everything else that we're going to share. First statement is this. There really are demons. They are really there, right? Um, and this is one of those messages where if you want to amen real loud, that's great because I feel like, you know, this is like, this is one of those spicy messages. So please feel free. Uh, it's, it's, it's group participation. So first, there really are demons. Amen. <laughs> that's, wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Demons are mentioned over 80 times in the Bible and they're mentioned over 60 times in just the four gospels alone. So it's a third of the angels and they fell with Satan and they've been just just angry ever since. Um, deliverance is really just the term that we use for taking the authority that God gave you over dark spiritual forces. And what the demonic uh, influence, whatever Satan is trying to do, Jesus has all authority over that. And so he's given it to us. And when we talk about deliverance, we're really just talking about identifying a spirit that is doing something contrary to what God wants to do, calling it out and saying, go, go away. That's it. That's what Jesus did. And he's given you that authority as well. That is part of the mark of the ministry of Christ. So it's, not, it's something we need to talk about. It's something that we need to, uh, to have our eyes uh, open for. And it's something that we need to recognize Jesus called us to walk in. Okay, so first point, there really are demons. Second point, demons really do influence people. They really do. Uh, when you, we look in the, in the scripture about the works of the flesh, right? 
lust and, and pride, or are you thinking about the seven deadly sins, lust and pride and envy and greed and sloth, and, and I don't remember all of the others. That's fine. You'll, you'll fill in the blanks. It's, it's great. But there are seven of them, and they're all deadly, and they all are related to works of the flesh, and they are all part of the devil's plan for our lives. But when we see those in the real world, we see them sort of manifesting through people. So we see demonic influence most often in the ungodly actions of people, even us. Ephesians 6 mentioned there's spiritual forces at work all around us. Ephesians 2, 2 and 3 says, the devil is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That's Bible. The devil is the spirit who is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And I got to tell you, that happens even after you've said yes to Jesus. That's happened in my life since I've said yes to Jesus. I was saved as, when I was 19, in 1991. And I know that there have been times in my life when God said, I need you to do this. And I said, no, I'm, I don't want to do that. I'm pretty sure that happens to a lot of us, right? We know what God wants us to do, and we don't want to do it. We refuse. We dig our heels and say, nope, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. That's not, that's not for me. Now, that, it does, I'm not saying that when that happens that we're possessed, but I am saying that we're giving into an alternate plan. I am saying that there's a different voice speaking to us that's saying, you don't need to obey that, and we listen to it. And so, uh, verse uh, 2 and 3 says, He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. When we are following the inclinations of our sinful nature, we are partnering not with God, but with the demonic influence. It's just the way it is. Now, third thing, and this is actually the most positive of all the three things we're going to talk about right now, Jesus really does cast them out. So there really are demons, they really do influence people, but here's the good news, Jesus really does cast them out. We see him do it all throughout the Gospels, not even really batting or blinking an eye, not getting fearful, not getting worried, just understanding who he is and, who he, and what he's empowered to do. And just walking and saying, no, that doesn't need to stand here. You can go. You can leave. I'm calling this out. I'm calling that out, and I'm commanding it to go. And it goes. Jesus casts these things out. Horror films and fiction and, like, scary stories will try to tell you that you need to be afraid of the devil. And if the devil's, like, showing up in any form or fashion, man, you get just... <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of thing. If the devil's around, man, you might as well just give it up because, wow, what power. That's incredible. You should be so scared. Fiction will try to tell us that. You got to remember, that's fiction. That's not real. The Bible tells us, and I believe the word of God is truth, that we have authority in Jesus over that. That perfect love casts out all fear. There's no reason to be afraid of the enemy. We just need to understand who Jesus has made us to be. When the Spirit of the Lord is in us, we are free indeed, and we can be instruments of freedom over darkness. He's given us all authority. So we're going to take a look at an account of 
uh, of a demon-possessed man in the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to see all three of these statements at work. Demons are real, demons influence people, and Jesus really does cast them out. And this is really cool. But it, it's, it's 20 verses, so stay with me, okay? Um, here we go. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, which I'm not pronouncing right. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Here's one thing that I want to mention. God's plan is to bring you into communion and unity and relationship with people who can build you up and people who can remind you who you are in him. His desire is for you to walk in his plan of blessing, giving you a hope, giving you a future, giving you a community. This plan the plan of the enemy is to have you walking alone among the tombs, doing harm to yourself. This is the epitome of what the devil intends for our lives. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. Now there's two different things going on. We exist in two different planes at the same time. We are physical beings, or we're spiritual beings in a physical body. So you have a spirit that's eternal. You also have a body that is not as eternal. It's pretty temporal, right? And we are living in two different planes at the same time. Now, what's happening in this man? One plane of him, one part of him recognizes Jesus and acts accordingly and acts out of his need, and, and knowing who Jesus is. The other part of him, the spirit that's been influenced by these, you know, these demons is trying to do something very different. So when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. So the man himself recognizes Jesus and even plagued by all of these demons, he recognizes that that's who I need to see. I'm going to go and I'm going to worship him. I'm going to bow before him. Now, the voice that's talking through him is not the man. It's coming from somewhere else. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. The man doesn't think Jesus is there to torture him. The demon thinks Jesus is there to torture him. And with, you know, with good reason, I guess. He's fearful of, of Jesus. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Now, Legion is technically somewhere around 6,800 soldiers, right? Can you imagine? This guy is filled to the brim. If it's indeed a literal legion, he's just filled to the brim with things. And I got to say, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens by a little give in here, a little agreement here, a little agreement there, walking consistently in a path that's leading you further and further away from God. So this man has been in agony for a long time. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. 
And the impure spirits came out and they went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Which is honestly what the demon was trying to do to the man. They didn't, he wasn't interested in his hope and his future. He wanted nothing but death for the man. And the demons left, went in the pigs, and that's what the pigs get. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well, and then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So we see point number three, Jesus really does cast these things out. And when he does, what we're left with is amazement at his mercy, a testimony of how God, I would have been this, but God showed up. That's what happens. He replaces this despair with a victory. He replaces all this bondage with freedom. That's what he does. And, and this is, this is a, a case of like extreme demonic possession. Some of you may have seen people experiencing this before. They are, they've allowed something to speak to them. They've allowed something to have some control and some authority over them, and it's a dark spirit, and they're not acting like themselves. They're not making sense, or it's making them sick, or it's making them want to hurt themselves or others, or, or they're, just, they're, just, they're not themselves. And some of you may have seen that. Some of you may have participated in, in you know, praying for that, for that condition and seeing God really do something. But some of us may, may never see that we may never see something certainly of this magnitude, but again, it's by degrees. So, no matter if it's someone who is full on just possessed by something, or someone who's just influenced by the demonic, the principles underlying are still the same. And they are this first, God has plans for you. God has plans for you personally. We're going to go to a scripture. You know very well Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. They're plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, that's for you personally. God has planned for you a future and a hope, and it is bright, and it's like eyes lifted up and looking to a glorious uh, new day. But he's also got a plan for the body that you belong to as a member of the body of Christ. And it's this. This is Jesus' final prayer in Gethsemane, John 17, 20 through 22. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave to me so they may be one as we are one. God's plan for you includes you being free and whole and complete 
and not distracted or distanced or divided by anything other than his will for you. That's his plan for you. And the reason that's his plan for you is because that's his plan for the other people you're going to come in contact with. He needs you to be free and whole and to know who you are in him and to be confident in, in your faith and to, and, to be, and to be a disciple, a follower who knows him, knows the word, loves people because you're, you meet a lot of people and that's his plan for them too. And they may not arrive there without some people to help them out. So his plan is for you. He blesses you as he promised Abraham. I'll bless you to be a blessing. That's what he's done in our lives. His plan includes being in unity and being in healthy community with other people. But on the opposing side, the enemy also has plans. It's not super creative plans. I mean, it's not exciting plans. Um, Jesus talks about his plans in John 10.10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying lives, but the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I made this point during uh, first service. I think it bears repeating. Um, there is only one who has all creative power. Power to create. Power to speak something into being. Power to change something. It's God. God spoke everything that we see. He spoke it into being, and he did it quick. Like six, six days, and then he rested. I would have too. But he, he's spoken into being. He creates. What did Satan ever create? Can you think of one thing? I can't think of a thing he ever created. It's because he doesn't have creative power. So when we start talking about, oh, man, the devil made me do this. The devil made me do that. The devil is working in my life. and um, He can't make us do anything. He doesn't have the ability to create anything. Now, who on this earth shares in the creative power of God the ability to speak something and see it happen, the ability to declare in faith and see things occur? I guess that'd be us. We have created po creative power because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God by adoption. So here's the thing. God has a plan for us. The enemy has a plan for us. His plan is not to create something new. It's just to destroy what we've been given, to steal, kill, and destroy. He can't make anything happen in our lives. If he's going to have any of his plans come to fruition, he's got to get us to agree and lend our creative power that we've received from God He's got to get us to co-sign with him in order to make anything happen on this earth. Which kind of begs the question, right? God's plan is so good. The enemy's plan is really terrible, right? Why do we fall for it? Why do we partner with it? Why do we, every once in a while, like we, we sort of turn our back on God and we're like, well, I, I guess we'll go down this way. Partnering with something that's not what God said. Why would we ever do that? His plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. Why would we ever partner with that? And the answer is marketing. It's absolutely marketing. He's never going to come to you and say, my plan is to steal and kill and destroy. How does that sound? Are you in for that? He's never going to do that. We would be dumb to take him up on that, knowing that what we've got in God is so good. 
But we will agree to much subtler things. We will agree to obey, disobeying God by degrees. Right? So we're going to take a look really quickly at the very first case of demonic influence that we see in Scripture. And we're going to see how the tactic is always the same. It's been the same since Genesis 3. And it's the same tactics now. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman said. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. So she knows. She knows what God told her. She understands the ramifications of disobeying. God said you must not eat it or even touch it because if you do, you'll die. God laid out the truth for her. The serpent comes, though, and in verse 4 says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, see, God knows that your eyes are going to be opened as soon as you eat it. And so you'll be like God. You'll know both good and evil, which, I mean, technically is true. As soon as they ate of it, they knew that there was evil. And they could, they could see that both were in operation, which they couldn't have seen before. So I guess it's not a complete lie. It's just a, just a half-truth. But in verse 6, it's all we need sometimes. The woman was convinced. The serpent couldn't make her eat something, but he could raise doubts. He could tell half-truths. He could get her to agree that, oh, okay, I'm convinced. By the way, again, depending on what version you read, but in a lot of versions, Adam is standing right there, so like he was convinced too, right? He, he also gave in. Um, but from the very beginning, the strategy has been the same. Here's what demonic influence looks like. It's first a seed of doubt. Not saying God is wrong and you need to disobey him, but saying, is that really what God said? Is it? Think about it. Boy, that's dangerous when we start thinking about it. Is that really what God said? That's how it starts. And then it then comes a lie, right? That's either it's that's not what he said, or no, that couldn't be what he meant. I know what God said. I know that we say that his word is truth, but that's probably not what he meant. Which moves us a little away from standing on the truth of what he actually said. And then comes the false promise. And this is what the enemy gets us with all the time. Either you can have what God says you can't have. Or you can have what God's offering you without doing what he's asking you. And that's what this is. She wanted knowledge. She wanted to circumvent God's plan. Adam and Eve wanted to circumvent God's plan because it was an easier way to get what they were really curious about. If we follow God, we'll never know. We can do this and still be a part of the garden and also have everything we want. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Following God's blueprint for freedom requires us to, first of all, stay focused on him, and second of all, stay close to him, which is why the enemy's plan is always to distract us and then to get us following a trail that distances us from God. It's so much easier to pick somebody off who's isolated than someone who's connected. And that's all that he's had to do for generations to have countless people 
Christians and non-Christians fall into terrible patterns, fall into bad habits, fall into temptations that, that we get barraged with all the time. He is relentless. He can't make you do anything, but he can sure give you a pleasing option and let you follow that to its natural conclusion. It's what he does. It's what he's been doing forever. And we see the results of that kind of influence cropping up in our daily lives all the time. You see it in other people for sure, but in our own lives. Like, if there's an area of your life that you cannot seem to get victory over, right? Oh, as much as I try, I just can't seem to win in this area. I've got this shortcoming. I've got this flaw. I've got this failure. And I keep on repeating this same pattern. And if you know that that's a destructive pattern, if you know that that's not a godly pattern, and you keep doing it over and over again, then we're stuck in this cycle of influence. If there's something we feel powerless to deal with over and over and over again, then we've distanced ourselves from what we know to be true about who we are in Christ. He has given us power to overcome. So if we continue to feel powerless, ah, I just can't get over, then there's a disconnect there. And it's the disconnect between us and God. But remember point three, Jesus really does cast these things out. John 8, 36 says, so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus gives us authority over the devil. He gives us authority over all demonic influence that we will ever face, but there is a key to walking in it. It's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to just to know it. To have read it and to be able to quote it is not enough. Take a look at this. This is the last, uh, almost the last scripture we're going to go to. I know I'm running late. Sorry. Luke 10, 17 through 21. Now, Jesus had sent out the 72. And he said, go, do all the stuff. Lay hands on people. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Do all of the things that you see me doing. Go, go do it and then come back. And they came back and they were pumped. They were so excited. I would have been too. So the 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Can you imagine how jacked they must have been? Like to go walking out and like, Jesus isn't even like with us right now. I saw somebody who was like sick or somebody who, who, who was like, like, like the guy in, the, in, in Mark 5, I saw that guy, and I just walked up and I said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. And he came out. I would be pumped too. I would be so excited because that's what we want to see. That's what we've been told we're here for is to take these wrongs and in Jesus' name, help set it right. We want to see healings. We want to see deliverance. We want to see God show up big in people's lives. We want to see that, and that's not wrong to want to see that. That's what we're called to. But Jesus replied in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They're so excited about the demons that, that responded to them. And Jesus is trying to remind them to pump the brakes a little bit. Okay, let's be excited about the right things. The 72 returned and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I mean, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. 
Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus acknowledges. They're excited, and they should be excited because they've seen miraculous things happen. But when they come back to him, he doesn't want pride to get in the way. He doesn't want them to then all of a sudden just go out and be like Holy Spirit gunslingers, just like, you know, look, hey, I came into town. Demons are all going to leave. He doesn't want that. That's not his heart. His heart is to minister to the deepest needs of people and to see them set free and to give glory to God. That is the heart of Jesus. And so he, he tells them, yeah, you know, guys, don't get all excited. I know you have authority over demons. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I know he's not the problem. I know we've defeated him. I know he's overcome. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, which means don't take pride as if that ability, that authority is actually yours and not his. It comes from him. And then he turns to the father and he says, I praise you that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned. Which means we shouldn't be overthinking this, trying to figure it all out, trying to see how maybe we can, uh, we can address demonic influence better next time. Boy, if I just do it better, if I just maybe if I say this or if I say it, it's not mental. It's entirely an issue of the heart. And he says, rejoice that God has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He's saying that the key to walking in this authority, the key to being this part of who he says we are, it's, a, it's about the resistance that comes from our hearts sometimes. So the key we see is in Mark 5, verse 6. The demon-possessed man, the guy who had 6,800 demons in him, he was riddled with stuff. But verse 6 says that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Even in the middle of great affliction, there was something in this man that knew where his rescue would come from. He knew who the authority was going to come from, and he went and found him and got on his knees and worshipped him and said, there is, I cannot resist this on my own. I need you. Satan does not have the power to keep you from Jesus. There's no demonic influence in our lives, whether subtle or extreme, that can keep you from Jesus. There is something in the heart that calls out to him and that moves toward him. So talking about patterns, habits, struggles, challenges, issues, chronic things that we constantly get caught up in. We can't get past them, but we want to be free. It's not just a matter of trying to resist. Knowing, oh, I've got all authority is not the same as what that guy in Mark 5 did in humbly submitting yourself to the Lord, first and foremost. Knowing that, yeah, even if I try my hardest to resist, it's not going to be enough. I need Jesus. Take a look at James 4, verse 7. It says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice the progression that happens there. I think sometimes as Christians, we can get prideful in our stance, in our status, in the authority that Jesus has given us. And sometimes we forget humbling yourself before God comes before resisting the devil. 
Humble yourself before God, period. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Things that we can't get over, problems that we keep having, things that we see out in the world that we think, man, that's, that's demonic influence. I've, I've been given authority to, to address that. Yes, you have. And before you address it, before you resist it, humble yourself before God and let him know that the, the power that he's given you is the only power that will address the situation. That any change that happens in this world comes from him and not from us. I know I can speak for my own, uh, from, from myself, and we're, we're going to close in worship and prayer in just a moment. Um, speaking for myself, like I've had in my life patterns, habits, issues, things that just were nagging me, you know, just sometimes it's things like fears, doubts, stuff that you just can't seem to get past. And what I find, what I found for myself is that I have a hard time getting free from anything unless I'm humbling myself before God. Freedom comes with humility. 